2: again fellow basement dwellers it's your good friend patrick o'dowd welcoming you into another edition of bandwagon nerds the skeleton crew on today as it is just myself and the scientist himself dpp how we doing man oh
3: i mean let's be honest this this is the true nerds right here i mean big dave give me a break here he's obviously he's got better things to do
2: you know the man misses (sighs) one show and then suddenly we just – he's unreliable now, it. two out of the last three. Yeah,
3: I'm telling you. And the big 30, you know, he had a different 30 he had to worry about. I mean, come on. Right, let's, right, what's right. the most yes. important one here?
2: I, you know? I, I hear you. I hear you. So, <laughs> ugh, don't even think about that. Anyway, we're poking fun at Dave. Dave is away. Um, he did a weekend away with, with the Misses to celebrate their anniversary. So, Mazel tov. Or whatever it is that that they say in California to wish people a happy anniversary. You
3: made it. Um, I think that's what they say.
2: I mean, apparently, my my joke about con- congratulating him for not, you know, for surviving another year without committing a homicide um, within the relationship was a little too much. Apparently, that was that was a bridge too far, and uh, I regret those statements.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm glad I missed that. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't think I wanted to weigh in on that I, one.
2: <laughs> you know, you know, you had sometimes you, you know how you have that joke that sounds great in your head and then it just doesn't land. Oh yeah, like, totally, totally what happened there just didn't <laughs> land. And so here I was, I, I I created the awkward awkward silence in the bandwagon nerds chat room because I uh, I implied that Dave didn't kill his wife. So <laughs> my fault my I, my bad i mean um, in all
3: honesty you know how many how many marriages end in divorce or homicides i guess i don't know that one.
2: homicides yeah, it seems a bit much yeah I probably <laughs> I, in my defense i've so, been watching so i married an axe murderer right before ooh. the uh yeah classic classic i do it so yeah god wait wait till we get to the 90s project on that one we will we will probably hear that on a list somewhere oh, uh, i've been thinking about like the sputnik. 90s project a little bit <laughs> That's going to be hard, like, to, to put together top 10 lists of genres.
3: Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, that's kind of most of our wheelhouses when we, you know, really started hitting right. the time we remember things for the most part. 90s were, were the big ones, so.
2: Uh, you know, unless you're 9,000 years old like Dave.
3: That's true. That's true. I you mean, might not remember the 90s. Well, he's an American Pie fan. Let's just put it that way, so.
2: Right. Well, there is that. Um <laughs> uh, First thing you watched on uh, on HBO Max? I, I can't even <laughs> I can't even rip that because I watched Xanadu, um, which is not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. They've already expanded their library, by the way, uh, oh, nice. from launch. Which it was funny we we talked about the show last or the service last week, and we were very I thought we were we praised it fairly highly, and then I went and read reviews, and apparently we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> really? Like we, we am yeah, huh. just – a lot of complaints about the the setup of the site, the format, the content, like the complaints about the content uh that some of it i, I thought was drowning. Like the DC content I'm still like this is lacking. Uh, but some of the stuff that they picked on I was disappointed, you know, I mentioned last week I was going to go check out some of the robot chicken specials. They're not on there. Ah. The, there's no Star Wars specials. There's unless I'm unless I'm overlooking them. But uh, I scoured it pretty hard looking for the DC uh, Robot Chicken Special and the t- three Star Wars ones, because uh, they've done three, which is nuts.
3: Yeah, that's disappointing. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't dig through that and, and check, but I know that yeah, all that stuff, Adult Swim stuff and everything was on there, so I just kind of, I guess you just assumed that those right. would be there.
2: Oh, well. Mm. I mean, it's good to be disappointed every now and again, and... I guess I'm encouraged by the fact that the the content is expanding though like that I think that they've done they did a major upload and we got more content and again I noticed it out of the Turner classic movie bunch as I'm about to put the family through old school Godzilla movies cuz they're all in there oh, boy and nice I know uh, I don't even know where to start like <laughs> do I start do I start at the beginning with Raymond Burr Perry Mason himself as the injected American actor or do I go straight to like Godzilla versus yeah. Gitra. Or, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I think you
3: start... I mean, I guess you'd start at the beginning. I mean, at least for the first one. Like, here's where they first went with this thing.
2: I felt that an American audience needed Perry Mason.
3: <laughs> right, because we wouldn't understand the Japanese comedy of a Godzilla running through
2: their town. <laughs> <sighs> such, a, such, a, such underrated movies. Just yeah. underrated, like... <laughs> My favorite growing up, oddly enough, was uh, Godzilla versus the sea monster. And the sea monster was like this giant crab thing. And what I remember the most from that movie is there is a scene where Godzilla and the sea monster are battling, and Godzilla throws a rock at the sea monster and it hits it with its claw back at Godzilla. And then Godzilla whips the rock back at him with his tail. And it's like a five minute scene of just that plate on a loop of this nice. rock on a string that you can see going back and forth between the sea monster and Godzilla. Great, great stuff. Uh, so all of you all you reviewers out there who, you know, poo pooed HBO Max, I'm here to tell you, you are incorrect. Get get yourself some HBO Max and, and, and give it give it a chance to, to really find its feet.
3: Watch the classics. I mean, geez, they, you know, all the recent Godzilla movies, they just can't—they just can't figure it out, man. They don't know—they don't know how it works.
2: What I love is that the studio that created Godzilla still makes old school style Godzilla movies. Like every yeah. now and again, you just see another one pop up, and they just add like technology to it. And the the thing that blows my mind is Japan. Let's talk about Japan. You know, a hub of technology and advancements. Yet still makes some movies that look cheap as shit.
3: Right. <laughs> is that where they decided to give up?
2: <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> but anyway, so we got a, we got an exciting show, a little bit of a different show today. Uh, you all noticed, yeah, Rick is also not here. He's out this week as well. Uh, we are going to still cover episode two of The Boys, which I'm excited to talk about because, hell, we've watched it so we can just talk about what we loved about the damn thing oh. uh, and, and not even have to take in any reactions. This is probably my favorite episode uh out of the whole thing which sounds strange as i go through this and watch this a second time i may stand corrected but good golly i'm 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 stoked for it i'm stoked to talk about it and i love it it's my favorite so you know that i that i can think through
3: yeah i we were just watching it uh yesterday and was like thinking about it going man i don't know i've kind of forgotten a good handful of stuff that has happened throughout this whole thing because this as soon as this right. one kind of started, I was like, "Oh man, this is when they do this! Oh, it's gonna be so great!" And yeah, the the You're suspense right. I, building up to it was awesome.
2: <laughs> it is it is ridiculously amazing. Um, the other thing, uh, the other things we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about a a documentary I actually watched uh, on Amazon Prime after watching The Boys. This thing popped up in my like, you might be interested, and uh, I thought it would be a great topic to talk about, uh, kind of throwing the uh, the agenda out the window a little bit because um it's it was a documentary called the in search of the last action or the next action hero the last action Hero i can't quite remember the title but it was a two and a half hour long documentary i was talking about and really talked about a genre movie that doesn't exist anymore Uh, and so i thought that sounded like a perfect thing to bring to the bandwagon and then Kind of continuing our ongoing discussion of studios and what's happening with movies being released. We have an update around Mulan and then a significant news bit with DC Comics broke this week. And again, no Dave to talk about. We are going to go into a a little bit of a deep dive on DC Comics and there's no Dave. Uh, And and I feel, you know, you can't say that that I hate DC and talk about DC. Well, there's
3: nobody to defend it now. And now it's now it's okay. proof that we do we do enjoy DC Comics, even yeah. without Dave,
2: right? That's right, <laughs> and and we will continue to enjoy DC Comics without Dave. And then we're gonna wrap up after the break. We're gonna talk a little board games. We're gonna bring in a guest, a guy named Justin Dowd, a friend of mine out in this area, out in New England, who uh, does a lot of. Uh, it's not his job; it's his hobby and his passion. So I want to make that clear but uh is known around the local scene as a as a board gamer extraordinaire. Uh, that's my title not anybody else's. But uh he does a lot of work with Pax East has been, has known to beta test some board games for folks and runs multiple game mites in my area and thought of bringing him on to have fun to talk a little board games, board gaming culture because it is a it is an interesting group um of people to to kind of see and and talk about and just kind of share what it's like when you can't be in person to to do a board game uh you know, like and what what that's present what kind of challenge that's presented him so um i think it should be fun
3: yeah that's pretty exciting I, you know by a good handful of my friends you know and and i know that play different board games and used to get together and stuff like that or looking for alternative ways of doing things and you know so it'd be interesting to talk to him to see what his experiences have been with that as well
2: right so, yeah, so that's basically the whole show today. I, I did come with another question, so we will wrap up with Patrick O'Dowd as a question, uh, even if it's just the two of us that have to answer it. But let's get into it. Let's start with this week's movie poll. Uh, last week we talked about it, uh, talked about going a little bit more mainstream, and so we put up a poll of Zack Snyder movies for people to vote on, and the options were Batman versus Superman, uh, Man of Steel, 300, and Watchmen. So three DC options, and I can't remember who published 300, but all comic book movies uh, and uh, was interested to see where the poll would take us. 26 of our listeners chimed in minus probably four because we probably all voted ourselves. So 22 of our listeners chimed in and the winner this week, not really a surprise, but 300, which I can't wait to talk about and tear up in a couple of paragraphs (laughs) because – i'm quickly just i i've decided i i'm like in the old school olympics parlance i'm the east german judge who doesn't like anything apparently uh, after my uh dave, dave had some some concerns about my review of short circuit and uh i, I don't know I, I i gave it a two out of five and, and he felt that was a little harsh
4: well, I mean,
3: I think I get what did I give it a three three and a half out of five, I think for that one but yeah, so
2: you were you were over half I was
3: over the half I was over the half, I guess it entertained me, but so you're just you're just gonna take this whole thing and just put it into six gear, go full throttle, dive deep into this uh, whole you hate everything idea right i mean
2: if it becomes the gimmick, like it's gonna get and and basically what i what I might do now is I might not even read i might not even write my review. Until I get the rest of the bandwagoners' reviews, so like if everybody loves the, the the movie, I'll just hate it. But if you all hate it, I'll be the one who's like, Well, actually, like I'll be the dissenting opinion, I'm okay with that. But uh, no, I you know, with, with Short Circuit, like the movie itself on its surface and its ideas, a lot of fun, it's a little dated. Uh, I do love Steve Gutenberg, the man's a treasure. Uh, whether it's cocoon police academy or short circuit, he was the guy in uh, one of the guys in the eighties. Like he you could bank on him. Yeah. Uh, but when you go back and you watch and you look at all the like some of it's eighties tropiness, some of it's just downright racist. Uh, a little a little hard to to take seriously when you got a white Jewish dude from New York pretending to be an Indian engineer. <laughs> uh, and and that really took me out of the movie in a way that i didn't when i was younger because not something that i thought about you know i still have some there's still some great moments in that film that that cracked me up like when he when number five is hiding out somewhere and he's he's confronted by the other robots and he fights them off and reprograms them but at one point he does an image like while the while waiting for the robots to approach he is holding a stick and he picks up a rock and he does a Howard Cosell impersonation, um, talking about um Pedro Guerrero hitting a ball to, to left field and the the imitation is spot on, you know, yeah. turning reprogramming the robots to do the three stooges, hilarious <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah,
3: that's some good, that's some good one. Line, like the, the two, well, the two guys that are the the you know, creators or whatever, the engineers and. What, right. are they like 30 years old and they're still talking about, you know, trying to pick up girls and what they're going to say and how uh, it's completely awkward they are around them? And, oh, yeah. man, you know, right. it's just it's Cros- hilarious. PhD. And uh, what's her, uh Stephanie when she first sees yes. uh, uh, Johnny Five and like goes, I thought it was an alien going. I knew they'd pick me. I just That was mm-hmm. one of the, my favorite lines.
2: Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> the fact that he finds the Bee Gees to be the epitome of music. Oh, for a while, listen to the Saturday Saturday soundtrack. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, that's um, fantastic. And, and if then you miss... the whole thing...
3: oh. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, and the
2: whole and the whole thing that convinces Gutenberg's character that he is self aware and alive is you know, laughing at a terrible joke. Right.
3: Right. Laughing at a terrible joke that he said wrong. Right. Hilarious. Yeah. After all that, after everything else he's done that did not follow his programming
2: <laughs> not at all it was
3: great it was great so but i miss... think you were
2: going to oh yeah, yeah. go ahead if i say if
3: you miss steve gutenberg right now you can go watch uh, holy moly if you ever watch that it's a it's a mini golf comedy uh, you know show where people are just golfing and it's got rob riggle and joe tessator like the hosts you know it's a little game where, show type where, of thing
2: where, what is this on
3: it's on nbc uh abc oh. it's on abc but it's like, uh, you know, ridiculous, ridiculous holes created by them that people have to, you know, conquer.
2: I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah. I could have been watching the Goot. I've been missing he, the Goot.
3: So he's on, this is season two, and he's on there for one of the holes oh. where they do a diving contest. And the winner, whoever has the highest score, and these guys, there's three judges that score it. And one's Greg Louganis, one's Steve nice. Gutenberg. Oh. <laughs> and uh, so whoever has the highest score, like, it's a better spot. Uh, to putt on the ne- on the upcoming hole and they got to do a dive or whatever and it's basically like two two people that go up a- that dive that do a dive and they score them and then there's one like guy that's like a professional uh, and they just rip him apart he makes like a perfect dive and they tear him apart every time so this, it's it's hilarious is, but Gutenberg's one of the one of the judges <laughs> This is
2: outstanding I am so sad that that I hadn't heard of this by the way this is where covid-19 has really impacted our lives by the way right cuz cuz My, my goodness. I'm watching this. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) uh, yeah. Like, line me up. Well, I can't wait for tonight. The trailer, the, one of the trailers that I talked about last week on the, on the trailer part, that uh, Bruce Lee documentary is tonight on ESPN, uh, Be Water. So nine o'clock Eastern. I'm tuning in somewhere. I don't care what the Mrs. O'Dowd says. Uh, We're going to do it. But uh, if you want to read our opinions on Short Circuit, you can catch that over on thechairshot.com. If that's still what it's called, I saw we got a tweet that, that now we're at least the Twitter handle is changed. We're now Chairshot Media. That's
3: right. Is, I guess is that
2: is that the rumor?
3: Chairshot Media. I guess we're we're expanding not not we, just wrestling but also entertainment.
2: Ah, uh, we are we are rolling out some new stuff all the time. It's an exciting time to be a part of the network. T- exciting time to be a part of the media. Uh, Chairshot Media. Apparently, uh, you can still find us on the Chairshot.com though. Like that hasn't changed.
3: That's still there. Uh,
2: I just. I just need to know, you know. Every time I'm like, "Hey, um, hey Dan, you got a, you got commercials for the show," and you're like, "Yeah, that it's like we're still using the right commercials because no, they keep changing them on us." Yeah.
3: <laughs> right. Just... Yeah. Hopefully, it's still they're still good for a little while. I think. I think the I'm website's gonna... still
2: the same. <laughs> all right, good. So we're gonna stick with you're <laughs> listening to Bandwagon Nerds on on the Chairshot.com, but uh, we got to watch uh, the Boys episode two, uh, and D- Dave's not here, Rick's not here. We're still gonna go forward with talking about the boys episode two. We already stalled this out once, and I think uh, based on some chatter, uh, we're gonna be moving our way over to. Uh, I, mean, I think we've already got our next show in mind with everybody having HBO Max. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to delay it because uh, we learned that Doom Patrol, the Doom Patrol show, is on HBO Max. You're like, yeah,
3: yeah. We were talking uh, about that on WI podcast. I know we we mentioned it there. PC Tunney was looking through it, and he said he saw Doom Patrol on there, and I was like, holy crap, like, yeah, that's awesome.
2: <laughs> right. So, I mean, if we get – we we, maybe we have D- D- PC Tunney come back and guest on the show every once in a while, and he can talk Doom Patrol. We can get him to watch it. Yeah. I know he consumes that kind of media really, really well. But uh, can't do that until we get through the boys. And uh, it's a special kind of episode when a dude blows up, and that happened. Oof. A
3: suppository bomb. Oh, uh,
2: yes, the Ooh. translucent death um, done by Huey. So this, the most, the majority of this episode. Just to recap for those who may not have watched it or just have forgotten, translucent has been captured by Huey, and I see now I'm going to forget his name. Um, what's his name? Butch. Carl Urban's character. Butch. He's um, a butch. Jesus. No, not butcher. in um, my mind here. Oh right.
3: boy! Oh boy!
2: They meet Frenchie. They meet, <laughs> they they go and they they meet their friend Frenchie, who is a guy who is apparently really adept at killing supers, which is why we brought him in. Yeah, last week I had the IMDb page up, and this week I did <laughs> sure not. Done that.
3: The butcher. That's why Billy. Butcher. The butcher.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Billy Butcher. Yeah. So Billy and oh. Huey had incapacitated translucent, put him in the trunk of their car, and were heading off somewhere. Um, Billy apparently knowing that uh, he could go to the Frenchman, though there's some sort of clear history there. And uh, they spend the show for the majority of the show trying to figure out how the hell to kill Translucent because his skin is this. He's able to alter the carbon on his skin to make it harder than a diamond. And so there's nothing that can penetrate his skin.
3: Yeah. And they come up with uh, they come up with that first one that whatever bullet that that guy made thinking it would pierce right. it that didn't work out.
2: Off, yeah, not even a little bit. Uh, electricity for some reason seemed to work though. That was that was fascinating to me. Like yeah. that, no matter what, electricity shocked him. They didn't shock him to death, but like that seemed to at least hurt him.
3: It could at least yeah incapacitated him for sure. That was an interesting little cage that they built up there. <laughs>
2: It reminded me of a pen, like a little dog, like a little dog uh, crate, little dog crate, body training, body (laughs) training, translucent. And, uh, and throughout all this, uh, translucent's trying to get a read on the guys in the room and trying to get to somebody. And he, he pegs Huey as the weak link. And so he, every time they're having interactions, he's working on Huey a little bit. Meanwhile, this guy Frenchie has a, has a moment of inspiration when he he sees a, a nature documentary about a turtle and figures the shell is hard, but the insides are. So how do we get something inside of him? And you you hit it off the, the top of the, the, the lead-in on the episode. We went full-on plastic suppository inside translucent.
3: Did we not Did we not go with, like, poison? Just just a vial of something for him to drink? Did they, they spike that water they gave him, maybe? I, you you know, would think. Why didn't they try that? So- I don't know. Like they went right I mean, for they, they went, went right, right for that. <laughs> right.
2: Well, and yet are you all that surprised? I mean, the first death on the show, <laughs> he's still holding her hands when she <laughs> explodes when he, when A train runs through her. It's crazy. Uh and if you don't, then you don't get this awesome moment with Huey. And like Death notwithstanding and, and how they, they deliver it. Huey being for faced with this decision as to whether or not to pull the trigger and looking over at, cause they're in this abandoned restaurant. There's this poster. That's like, it's like, don't, don't get your hands dirty keep or your, something keep your like hands that. Clean. Keep your hands clean. Yeah. And he keeps looking at that poster and this baby covered in spaghetti. And, and that image is intentional. Uh, and him having that decision to pull the trigger and not be the spineless jellyfish that translucent pegs him to be is it, it just propels the show forward in a whole new way.
3: Right. Cause it's the, the, the decision up to this point with him has been, you know, does he, is he going to go full on with this thing and go, and go for it? Or is he going to be just, you know, sit back on the sidelines and not get involved and not want to get his hands dirty as the, you know, as the poster says, and this is his his turning point of, I'm in on this thing, I'm doing it, let's go. I'll do whatever it takes to get justice, basically. And, right. And the, the and image he did, he did uh, the, as, as Translucent's walking down the hallway, that, uh, so, oh, that just explosion of, of things. I,
2: and I love that Translucent was invisible when it happened. Like I actually kind of because what it does to at least it did it to me mentally. Mentally, then all of a sudden you create the image. It's like in uh, it's like in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You don't actually see anybody get massacred. A lot of times it's cutaways and your brain does all the work. That's what they did with translucent until you get the special effects all over Huey.
3: Right, right. You don't see where he was. You all of a sudden you just see the, the everything going yeah into him. So you don't well, know viscera how it works i i loved i loved what they did with those i guess with just the whole translucent thing too like watching him try and drink the water and then he has to he urinates into the cup and like just those whole things where it's just there's nothing there except this glass moving and it's like i don't know the but images you, and the, the but way you know it's it so
2: great you know what he's doing yeah
3: it was, it's just so great i really enjoyed it <laughs>
2: Right, me too. It's one of my favorite episodes, probably if not my favorite episode just for that death, that that de- that death and and Huey making that decision. We had some other sort of disturbing tidbits. Uh we got a little bit further into the messed up brain of one uh Homelander uh as he's he's a little obsessed with his boss.
3: Yeah, he's got a little bit of a fetish there. He apparently is watching her through the walls while she does things and
2: well, she's breast pumping, like she's <laughs> pumping breast milk.
3: Yeah, it's it's like I don't know what kind of attachment it is, like a, you know, needing a like a mother figure in a way, or or if it's more than that. But
2: well, yeah. and even before that, like they're having that conversation, and he like comments on her lactating, and like just the way he says it is just skeezy. It's oh it's so creepy. Yeah, Uh and it, and and. Again, we, we got a taste of how messed up Homelander is at the end of the first episode. It got worse. And we saw that play out in a lot of different ways, too. Because, you know, that meeting where he's talking about her lactating, she called it on him because the Deep was able to see that the plane had two very pinpoint laser-like burns on the plane. And that seems funny. And so, you know, he has a little conversation with the Deep,
3: yeah, yeah, he's uh, kind of showing off his his power there a little bit, and like, hey, uh, you're gonna forget what you saw, basically. Otherwise, bad things are gonna happen to you, you know. So obviously, he's <laughs> he's shoving his, yeah. his his weight around a lot with all these people, or at least it's going to get worse, I assume, you know. Where well, and,
2: yeah,
3: he's yeah, like I mean, he's the means... one running the show. He's he's doing right. what he wants to do, and nobody's gonna stop him.
2: And can you? Can anybody stop him? I mean, it's freaking Superman, right? You know, like he when he walked into the like the crime research office, that big like hub, and he basically's like, you know, he demanded to know where Translucent's last location was. That poor woman, like, how do you, how do you say no? How do you how do right. you think Madeline has any power over Homeland? Because uh, because it really isn't looking that way. Nope. Uh, and yet it seems like there is this weird fascination that maybe keeps him in check a little bit. uh, But I'm not sure. Starlight also also got a little bit of a a rude awakening into doing good deeds. Uh, We saw that. uh, As we got a little bit more of a window into how this whole company works, Uh, she's set up for a fake patrol, basically where everything's laid out for them to take care of, Uh, partnered with the Deep, and she kind of stands up for herself pretty strongly. Uh, to him as he tries to bully her again
3: yeah you're starting to see i guess she's starting to see what really is going on it's not quite what i don't think it's quite what she wanted to sign up for and you know knowing that yeah every all this stuff is basically set up and then it's all basically for the cameras you know once she once they save the day it's like all of a sudden these cameras are all over the place and she's just looking around like what this what is this this isn't you know what i wanted to do and you know they're yelling at her to smile for the cameras and everything it's like this isn't what she wanted. And then, you know, I think it was, that was the first part. And later on, she ends up trying to help a woman in an alley that's looks like she's about to get raped. And she takes down the two guys. And all of a sudden, guess what? There was a, you know, a phone camera or something recording them from a, from a room. And now it's on the news and everybody at the whole, you know, company is upset, you know, that she did this right. while she was in her street clothes. And, you know, there was no witnesses, you know, there was no woman that was running away. And, you know, she has to explain herself now because she did a good deed, but she didn't do it on their terms. <laughs> so, right. you know, she's in trouble for helping people.
2: <laughs> and, that, and that, yeah, and that's that's kind of the fun part about this show is that it really does show the, the twisted nature of of this company. You know, and, and you know, and there's some other great moments in there as well. We we see that uh, Madeline is still moving forward with trying to take over, getting the uh, the heroes in her company militarized, um, and so starting to put pressure on a senator from Oklahoma, sending somebody who uh, is a, like a, shapeshifter. a shapeshifter, yeah, right. Um, and I'm trying to remember his name, but doing that shapeshifter deal on them. Um, so that it puts him in a compromising situation, forcing him to at least pull the bill into committee and getting her just a little bit closer to to having her superheroes part of the United States military.
3: Yeah, you see the, the dirty politics basically going on between these different companies right. and, and things where, yeah, just doing whatever you can to, to get ahead or get to the next step. And it's just, yeah, it's... Right.
2: See, and this is this is why politics can be done in a science fiction or fantasy setting, and it'll work. Unlike Star Wars episodes one through three, where it failed miserably.
3: Well, when you have a two and a half hours where it's just direct politics and listening to people in a in a Senate arguing right. over opening a war in, or not, in, it's like
2: in, in giant oh. giant pods. Yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm good. <laughs> uh. Sorry, I couldn't help but dig at Star Wars. I uh I'm actually working on an article. I haven't told Greg about this, but I'm working on a commentary that I, I hope he puts up on on the chairshot.com about why Star Wars movies aren't that good. Uh and yeah, I can't wait to share it. This is why. This and is I why. Love, and I love Star Wars. Like that's the thing is I love Star Wars, they're bad movies. And I think we we have to we have to embrace that most of them are bad movies.
3: This is why everybody believes you just shit on everything.
2: They're not good movies <laughs> objectively. You can't sit and watch Star Wars I... episodes one through three and defend that schlock. They have great moments, but they aren't great movies. I will... and that's what I think.
3: I will one hundred percent agree with you on episode one. That's for sure because I cannot go back and watch that one for the life of me, no matter what. But.
2: Uh... The, the other ones O'Dowd, I may have
3: to watch again. I, I just, because it's been forever, but
2: <laughs> the little O'Dowd, he want, he's wanting to watch them all through in episode order. And I think I told this story. We, when we doing these sleepovers, he randomly went in, he's like, I want to watch a star Wars movie. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, what do you want to watch episode one? And I was like, damn it. <laughs> and that was, that was the sleepover. But, uh, yeah the the nice thing about the boys in this episode we'll put a bow on it before we go into talking a little bit about um this documentary I watched um that I would love to get your opinion on we we were still getting we we're, we're we're still getting a sense of the world uh shout out to the a train make a wish moment that goes horribly wrong oh, on the show It's so painfully awkward right. to, to watch him try to try to work you can help me out the, it's gonna
3: be able to help me outrun cancer.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, right, brutal. Ah, uh, so bad. Um, <laughs> uh, so, in a good way, just in because you don't like the guy because, and that's the thing is you're predisposed that's... to dislike A Train from the get go because he's how you're in inter- how you're introduced to him, but to see him like just flounder in this make a wish moment is delightful. I love it so so much. Um, but you just you know this trade started at a thousand miles an hour and it's only moving faster and that's glorious and the thing that i really love about this show
3: yeah like like you said you got introduced to a trade first and it was him you know at ridiculous speeds just, pl- just disintegrating basically a woman you know on the middle of, you know out in the street and yeah ever since then it's just been complete downhill of here's everybody else on this team and they're all just as bad and everything's like just shit from this company. It seems from day one that we get introduced to it. So, and there's, yeah, like you said, there's only more there's, you know, we still don't, we are still learning compound V we're still learning everybody else's problems and what their corruptions a part of this is. So yeah, we still haven't done a
2: deep dive on queen Maeve yet. Like she's really not been anything yet.
3: She's the only one. No, we've got a, we've got a taste of the deep, but I think there's more to come. We and already know man. Oh, uh Black Noir. Yeah. We haven't learned anything about him except that he does not talk.
2: <laughs> he drinks through a straw. He yeah. drinks he drinks a drink through a straw. Is that a that <laughs> thing? Yeah, there's so much still to learn, but the show is already like just hook and go and you are on the go. And so can't wait to talk episode three next week when Dave comes back and uh and get get some thoughts on that and uh, you know, get some get some traction moving forward. So that'll do it for this week's uh, review of the boys. We're going to skip the trailer park this week. Uh, The only thing I do want to encourage you to do TP is check out the trailer for I am vengeance retaliation to see our good friend, Stu Bennett better known to us as Wade Barrett in the lead as an action hero. Oh,
5: no
3: kidding. And
2: that's the whole and that's the whole reason I'm using this as a segue is because I watched after I finished watching The Boys, just like every other streaming service, they want to keep you on that service as long as possible, right? So they put up suggestions as to watch what to watch next. And the suggestion I got, oddly enough, was a documentary called In Search of the Last Action Hero or the Next Action Hero. And it was a two and a half hour history of action flicks dating all the way back to the sixties and really spending a large amount of time in the heyday of the, the action hero led vehicles of the eighties and early nineties, where you had Rambo, the Schwarzenegger flicks, whether it was commando or Conan, the barbarian Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Steven Seagal, uh, even Kurt Russell and uh, Bruce Willis, because of Die Hard, uh, just a great, great thing. And at the end of the the movie, so they they most of it is this big sort of history lesson of the action, uh, the action hero, and then it sort of talks about how things changed and how movies started to go away and um, studios started to go away from the action guy like the guy who knows what he's doing like a jean-claude van damme who could legitimately kick your ass or a chuck norris who was a real you know was a real karate champion uh for for multiple 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 years to actors who they could teach a little bit of fighting to and still make a successful movie and they used like matt damon as an example liam neeson which hurts my heart a little bit because i always want to believe that liam neeson is a tough guy but you know maybe he's not um keanu reeves and the matrix flicks uh and they they bring a rap to the show asking the question of who would be the who should be the next guy and is that person out there and they land on a very familiar name to, to people like us um but the question itself and just thinking about those those movies like when you think of just pure schlock action film say and we'll we'll do that 80s early 90s what what what's your favorite what comes what comes to your mind what really is the one that you're like yes this is my jam oh man
3: at that point it was i mean anything Arnold Schwarzenegger for me was was kind of the big stuff like uh you know, well, the Terminator stuff that he did. But I know that wasn't really yeah. action. You know, the action hero type of thing. But um those ones, I was always big in. Um, uh, geez, he did what else? Did he do Eraser. I like that one yeah. a lot, actually. I know that one's kind of an underrated one. But anything by him at that point, I wasn't really I big into that. the Stallone stuff. I didn't. Right. I mean, Rocky. I got into the Rockies a little bit. You know, Rocky Four and all that. But like uh, I wasn't big into, you had to I up Rocky I, Boy, I had to, geez. I had to, I did it just oh. for you. <laughs> uh, but like I never got into the Rambo's or anything like that so much, um, or even the John Claude Van Damme's, um like the First Bloods and any of those. I I never.
2: Oh come on, Time Cop.
3: I never, uh, no, I never. I <sighs> he just didn't do it for me. I guess I don't know. That's
2: um, I mean, fair.
3: I love the Jackie Chan stuff. I I was always a big fan of him. You know, I mean, he wasn't like necessarily the the main guy and a lot of them, but his, his stuff that he did right. was always fun well, interestingly, to watch.
2: Interestingly, they talk about him and, and sort of that transition because they talk about how internationally that became a big forefront. Like they talk about the raid, um, which I'm going to confess. I've never seen the raid. I've heard nothing but good things. I've heard it's a movie I should not watch. I should watch, you know, alone away from anybody because <laughs> it's a little violent. Ooh. Um, but because they, they they talk it goes far back to the sixties. They talk about like James Bond movies. They talk about Bruce Lee. And, you know, again, for a guy who made five really like five movies, his influence was far reaching. And like Jackie Chan worked with Bruce Lee in in other movies. Like he got beat up by Bruce Lee before he then sort of took on being the lead in his own sort of movies and being a stunt guy that way. And so they you know very much a part of the evolution for me you mentioned schwarzenegger it doesn't get any better to me than commando i think commando was on my top 10 list of action movies from the 80s um i will i will never forget and they had the guy who played uh his his antagonist bennett they had the guy who played bennett in in the documentary doing the interview and talking about how he and Schwarzenegger became good friends because of just how willing he was to sort of ham it up and really go for it in their big fight scene. And he tells this story about how they did this first take. And then Schwarzenegger was like, don't give him a real knife Uh, because he was so intense and like what he was doing. (laughs) And um, yeah, it's, it's it's a, it's a really interesting watch um, and a really fun, like I said, it was two and a half hours long. It didn't really feel like two and a half hours, mostly because I was like, yeah, that one. But the guy that they say should be the... I mean, uh, can you guess? I'm sure you can guess oh, who man. they would say should be the next guy.
3: Couldn't even tell you.
2: The Rock, man.
3: Oh, like, The shit. Rock
2: was... Yeah. yeah, look at you now. Okay. Yeah, The Rock. And that was the thing that was... Like, I was like, well, duh. And they were like, you know, he's he's had movies where he's been, like, a lead or whatever, but he hasn't had that... Arnold Schwarzenegger level bust out lead guy action movie and people want it so bad and they argue a lot that it's because of the attempt to get a broad scoping scope of an audience so really getting you know that pg-13 rating over that rated r thing because you go back and you look at some of those movies from the 80s like mando's rated r and we we dropped a dude uh, onto like these like metal poles or whatever. They're like sticking out of his stomach. and stuff. like, it was very graphic. He threw, threw a steam pipe through a guy, you know, lopping heads off in, in Conan or, uh, Stallone, Rocky, uh, not Rocky Rambo, uh, first blood part two, where he's holding the arrow, the exploding arrows. and He blows the dude up who can't seem to hit him with the machine gun. Yeah. Uh, they talk about how the audience shifted from just being like, you know what? We want explosions. Just give us explosions that's all we could ask for uh it's it's just terrific terrific stuff yeah
3: that makes a big difference I the rock is a is a good idea too because yeah he's definitely got that ability to do all the stunts and everything like that and be an action hero and he's got the popularity he's got you know the women love him the men are are on board because of the wrestling background and everything so And he's just a super likable guy, you know? So it it does. Yeah, those leading
2: man looks. Like he's got, he's a good looking dude. He, you know, he's got the Fast and the Furious thing. He's got the Hobbs and Shaw thing. Um, But yeah, finding a a true vehicle that would just be his that would work and it kind of give him that big blockbuster success. Who knows? I think we're ripe for it. Uh, I forgot
3: about, yeah, I, I totally didn't think about James Bond, you know, when I was thinking 80s, 90s more, but. Jay, yeah, right. Bond is one of my all-time favorites, and uh, you know, I I kind of grew up in the Pierce Brosnan era, which I know is probably the weaker of the of the Bonds, more or less. From yeah,
2: uh, I don't know, Connery and Roger Timothy Moore Dalton.
3: and Timothy Dalton, yeah.
2: Timothy Dalton was trash, man.
3: Yeah, okay. Um, but I, I love those movies. I love the spot because I I'm just a big fan of the spy stuff and, and gadgets so, and so Do you have, do you,
2: have top, do you have a top Bond flick? Like, what's oh, one that man. you can watch over and over and over again?
3: Honestly, those ones I could watch. The world is not enough. I could watch Tomorrow Never Dies probably forever. Honestly, I like that one. Casino Royale was pretty fun in the in the new version, right. but like those my, those ones are like was basically my wheelhouse of what I when I right. really started to dig it.
2: My mom was a big fan of the Roger Moore James Bond, and because of her, my favorite James Bond movie is Live and Let Die, uh, and probably more because Jane Seymour, a very young Jane Seymour. Plays the romantically, the the woman that ends up with him at the end. Just woman never ages is gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous now, was gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous then. Uh just a terrific, terrific actress. And I loved it. Just, you know, playing on Voodoo and in New Orleans. Uh it was oh so much fun. Good stuff. But yeah, check that out. It's on it's available on Amazon Prime. You got a co- two and a half hours to kind of kill uh in search of the last action hero. Or the next action hero. Sorry, I did. I did actually look it up. That was what I was searching down. Sorry, I was right the first time. In search of the last action heroes. Last, not next. Patrick O'Dowd is a little addled today. So right before show. here, I was. I, you know, for three hours, I was out working on the yard. It's a gorgeous day today. Sun beating down on you a little bit. Haven't you know been drinking. You know, on a on a on a post workout stomach, a little dangerous.
3: Yeah, things can happen. They're a little disheveled, you know. Well, you Haven't come down. You haven't come down from that high yet.
2: No, not at all.
3: That was my Friday. So
2: <laughs> nice. That nice, was very good. So let's <laughs> jump into some news updates. A couple of little tidbits. This is really more of a follow up on something that uh, we have been talking about on the show quite a bit, uh, and that is we there was a res, uh, report came from We Got This Covered. Uh, I shared this uh, with the group about five days ago, Uh, but Disney, there is talk that Disney may now be changing its release plans for Mulan, uh, according to an interview that came from Grace Randolph that was talking about this could come out on video on demand. Um, It was at a Twitter Q&A, and basically she was asked about um, Disney's upcoming theatrical slate, including Black Widow, which is still delayed, still on track to be in the movie theater, though. But she said, Mulan is looking likely. I don't think so anymore for Black Widow unless movie going really craters when theaters reopen. And so, you know, I saw a report, and I think this is really interesting, given that I saw a report that Cinemark is planning to open... Soon, like early July, which was about the time that Milan was, you know, intending to come back. Uh, so to see this kind of decision possibly coming from Disney, I, am I overreacting? Is it wrong to be alarmed here? Is this no big deal? Should we have just expected this? Um, I don't know. What do you think?
3: I think, well, you know, my, my thoughts would be that there were going to be, you know, movie theaters and stuff would start opening around July 4th. You know, because I thought right. that would be a perfect weekend for it, but um, they, I'm sure they have either some, some news on that, that it's that it's not necessarily going to be what it was. They obviously have some insight, notes on this. They have to, um, to make this go video on demand, because they, they must believe that they're not going to get what they would at the movie theater at this point, when that opens back up, that they right. can do at least a good enough job getting money back on releasing it, you know, at home on demand. So. Right.
2: Well, and I don't know about you, because um, I haven't really been paying attention to what's going on in the state of Wisconsin. Massachusetts is right now in its phase two of its like slow, soft reopen. We're getting ready for the whole like eat restaurants out on patios and on the streets sort of thing. That's that's phase three. It could come as early as announced today or tomorrow that we'll be transitioning to that. Uh, but movie theaters are a last on a lot of lists. And so you may be right there.
3: We're uh, we're exactly in the same line here in here in Wisconsin. Basically, it's we're right at that phase. They're about right. to open things up a little bit more. Um, I know they kind of jump started it with the Supreme Court deciding. You know, hey, Wisconsin yeah. Governor, you're fuck you. You know, we're gonna we're gonna open shit back <laughs> up. So, you know, we started earlier than we wanted, but I think we're about in the same phase there. I, I the last thing I heard was, yeah, maybe very shortly here. They're gonna open some of that stuff back up. So I can't imagine, yeah, movie theaters right. are probably gonna be lower on that list. Because Yeah, and if
2: you do if you do the math, these, these phases have to be either like two or three weeks at a time. So yeah. we're just into phase two. If phase three, you know, it's June seventh today when we're recording. So three weeks that puts you at the twenty-first. So that gets you to maybe phase four. So phase four at the earliest, which is, I think our complete reopen would be, would be the, the end of June. So it's cutting it close. Yeah,
3: it's right about that time. Movie like Mulan. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking that that's what's going on there. I, I think they right. figured out with everything else, it's going to get released into theaters here. I'm, I'm sure. And right. Timing wise that it, maybe it makes dollar wise. It makes more sense. And, it, you know, and
2: I this is one that I would purchase.
3: I you know i I was gonna mention that too, like some of these movies here where like I wouldn't go to the theater to see this one. I'm sorry that I wouldn't right, but if it comes out on demand here, like first thing, I'd probably whatever they're gonna charge it if it, I'm guessing it's not just sure. gonna be part of Disney plus it's gonna be a yeah, you know twenty dollars whatever to to get well, it or whatever i would I would watch that then
2: I learned this is really interesting um, I learned this not this past week but the week before um. When the little O'Dowd and I, again for the sleepover, we watched Scoob. Uh, we bought Scoob on Amazon Prime, and this is what I—this is what was interesting, Dan. And if they—if Mulan follows this model, I think they'll make their money no problem. For twenty dollars, you could rent it and watch it within forty-eight hours. For twenty-five dollars, you could buy it to own. So why wouldn't you fork over the extra five bucks to own it rather than rent it? if it's something that you were truly interested in seeing. And with the Scoob example, like the kid wanted it and wanted to buy it cuz he was like I think I'll want to watch it again. We watched it twice in 48 hours just within the day of purchase. <laughs> so you you it turns into a pretty solid bargain for a consumer based on what movie theaters have done with the price to go see films. Right.
3: And that's the thing. Like, would I go to see something like this and go to the movie theater, pay 20 bucks for the tickets and then go pay, you know, another 20, 30 bucks for popcorn and sodas and everything just to watch it? Probably wouldn't do that. But right. If right. I wanted to go, if I would, if I could sit at home and spend 20 bucks or 25 bucks, especially if it's something that, yeah, like you said, if you're going to watch it more than once, 25 bucks, you're getting you're, you're making the money then if you're going to watch it a second time. So why wouldn't you spend the extra couple bucks? But if I could sit at home and relax a little bit more and watch it, I that's something I would do for some of these movies that I wouldn't go to the theater for. And right. then you don't have to wait for it to be released. If it has right. an immediate release, you can watch it right away. I'd watch a few more of these that are immediately released before I forget about them. You know, months down exactly. the
2: road. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm banging the drum on this. This is what this is going to be a thing. This is going to be a real thing. I, you know, we've, we've sort of talked about it, you know, off and on. Is this going to be a thing? Well, and we've been like, yeah, sort of kind of maybe if this happens with Mulan, because everybody does what Disney does period, this will be a thing. It won't be a thing for all movies, but it will be a thing for a lot of movies. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what we should just know and embrace uh, as the future. I agree. So, Last little news bit that uh, that I wanted to share because I think it's fairly significant uh, for people who have read comic books for years and years and years and years and years. This week, um, Disney or not Disney, DC, not Disney, DC. Whew. Again, Disney They're runs both, everything. So right. eventually, when they buy when they buy DC and just monopolize all entertainment, um, you know, I'll, I'll be accurate. You know, ten years from now. Um, DC is breaking away um, and has cut ties with Diamond Comics. Now, why are Diamond Comics important, you may ask? Diamond Comics are, is the largest distributor of mainstream comics in the country and has been the distributor for main, for, for the largest distributor of mainstream comics for, for decades. For the biggest publishers, both Marvel, both DC. But there's been some conflict between Diamond and DC, and the two are officially parting ways. And so this came... I saw this in an article on Gizmodo, io9.com. That's that's where I get a lot of my news stuff. But uh, Hollywood reporter actually reported this. It was an email sent by D- DC Comics to retailers and reporting that the publisher... That Diamond Diamond Comics will no longer distribute its series and graphic novels via Diamond, who it has had who has held an exclusive distribution deal since '95. Going forward, DC is going to distribute its periodical comic releases through Lunar Distribution and UCS Comics Distributors. Graphic novel Graphic novels and collected editions will go through Penguin Random House. And this month, Diamond will only fulfill DC comic orders placed through June 1st while DC suspend while the DC suspend order cutoffs for the following week, June 8th until June 15th to allow comic stores more time to adapt to the new system and get orders of books in. So spreading out it's publishing to, to multiple distributors. And this is huge diamond. I just said this, but, they, they hold the markets for U.S. US and, and Europe almost exclusively. And, I mean, we're talking Marvel, IDW, Image, Dark Horse, Archie Comics. And so I think this is great for comics. I think anything that busts up a monopoly is terrific because Diamond no longer has a market corner. And I'm interested to see... What, if any sort of impact this is going to have on distribution?
3: yeah, that's this is kind of unprecedented, and i'm I'm with you because i I'm not a big fan of monopolies in any sense for right. any type of company. I love the idea that there's competition. it helps drive pricing. it helps drive uh, you know economies. so i this is i mean in a in a sense great news for yeah the the publishing and distribution companies and everything that can get their hands on you know dc comics which is you know obviously yeah that them and marvel are the two big ones that got everything going so this is this is crazy
2: right diamond was really looking to make itself the distributor to to really make the comeback you know be be the big face of retail so you know what kind of an overall blow it's going to be a significant blow
3: Oh, yeah. Huge. It's
2: it's going to be a significant, significant blow.
3: And so... And, you know, Random House, you know, is obviously one we we know quite well for everything else, too. But adding these other distribution companies, um, you know, just for the standard comic releases is going to be amazing. It's going to be... Yeah, it helps with so much. And it helps bring other, you know, companies to light and things like that, which is which is awesome. And it's just amazing that this... They couldn't come to some kind of agreement with DC Comics is is yes, insane so to think about. And, you know, it's great. I, I think it's great.
2: So, yeah, more to come on that. It'll be interesting to see as, as brick-and-mortar stores open back up uh, and we start to see some more distributing, whether that continues to change for other things. But right now... We're going to take a little break. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show today with a little bit of an interview, or not a little bit of, with an interview. Uh, I mentioned it at the top of the show with Justin Dowd. We're going to talk board games, and not your typical board games. We ain't talking Monopoly, Chutes and Ladders, and Operation. Uh, we're talking about, you know, some more involved some more involved games. Things like, oh gosh, I'm going to forget the name of it. Uh, I'll just use the Joe Joke board game that you hear about all the time in uh, Parks and Rec, the Cones of Dunshire. Um,
3: Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Axis and Allies. Dungeon,
2: Dungeons all and Dragons, Axis and Allies, that sort of stuff. So uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we will have hopefully Justin Dowd on the air and maybe, just maybe, another bandwagoner. That's called a tease. All right, back at you. This is Bandwagoners on the thechairshot.com. We, we have a special surprise for everybody. We said that this was a skeleton crew of bandwagon nerds hosting the show today. Well, guess what? The bandwagon got a little bit bigger. Real quickly, welcome in our good friend David Ungar. Dave, how are you? How are things out at the beach?
4: They are uh, very pleasant. I'm uh, glad to be coming on here, so I can still say I've only completely missed one total episode. I'll get a cameo in here. It's uh, okay. It's and- okay showing me it's 70 degrees out here right now uh it's a beautiful day in san luis obispo it's, uh, it's our fifth wedding anniversary so yeah we oh, said, congratulations thank you we said coronavirus be damned everything else going on in the world forget it we're just going to go to Morro bay
2: that's right where's makes- your mask sir where's your mask
4: it's in, our- in my purse you, you got it <laughs> got it but yeah right. you- I, I can't wear a mask outside that just seems counterproductive to anything remotely uh, i mean fair enough from
2: what we can see it does look like you know you and the missus are standing alone so as nerds should be we're, we're generally alone people so oh, there's a anyway. cars, but
1: well that's nice
2: <laughs> that's good well and we are we are here we are joined by a special guest tonight or tonight today uh <laughs> Wanted to do a little bit of talking about something we haven't d- discussed much on the show, but I thought would be a fun subject matter to tackle. And, um, and that was board games and gaming culture, gaming communities. And I thought, what better way to do that than to bring in a friend of mine who is out here east, a coworker of mine, a guy named Justin Dowd. Uh, Justin, uh, runs a few game nights in the area uh i know that he does has in the past and done some volunteer help work with a friend over at pax east in boston on various uh various years in fact i make fun of him every year he goes and has also because of his you know work with various game nights and local gamers um, and local um, game developers has had the opportunity to test a few games here and there test some stuff at, um, at some of his various game nights and things and so i thought it would just be a lot of fun bring him in. I know, Dave, you're a guy who enjoys a good game here and there and now and again. Um, Dan, I'm not so sure about you, but uh, thought we would just start by you know, welcoming Justin in. So, Justin, welcome in to Bandwagon Nerds.
5: Well, thanks a lot. Glad to be here.
2: So, I'll go ahead and kick off, and, and I love starting the interview because I always get to do the easy softball question, and that is just... You know, I kind of gave a thumbnail of the things that you, that I know that you're active and involved in, but why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about one, just how you kind of ended up doing what you do, um, as this, I know, and I know this is a hobby slash you make a little extra money off of it, but you know, it's, you know, it's a fairly regular gig that you put together, um, in, in more than one location. And so just, yeah, just tell us about you.
5: Cool. Um, I mean, honestly, I got I got started in all this because I was playing board games a lot and my collection was getting bigger than I could get played. Um, and when I, I moved into the place that I'm at now, uh, it was a bit of a shift. Didn't really know a lot of people. I just happened to go to a local bar and was like, hey, if I bring a few of my friends and uh, start playing some games, is that going to be a problem? And then 30 people showed up. and so the bar was like just come on back um and from there you know i did that for three years at that one location and then a couple of other places reached out to me asked if i'd be interested in some paid gigs at those places and so yeah at this point you know not right now obviously hopefully at some point in the near future we'll be able to go back into the real world but um Yeah, as of right now, I'm running game nights uh, that are just purely mine. Uh, I'm running three different ones that I have, I think, two or three game nights a month for each. Uh, And then there's a couple of others that I kind of help out with as well. Uh, And then, as Pat mentioned, I also, at some of the local conventions, I'm connected with some places in the area that either do playtesting or showing up other various games. And so, yeah, it, it means that I get to be connected to a lot of uh, a lot of the really cool stuff that happens in that community. So.
3: so how did that kind of get started with being able to test different things and, and getting with obviously it started with friends, but then how, how do you get other people to, to come to those events? You know, is it just word of mouth? Is there do you do like social media sites where you just started sure. to create it up or, you know, how do, how do you get involved in this stuff? That's just going to be a hobby.
5: It's, it's a mix, actually, of things. You know, I think that when we got started, it was a lot of, I just got lucky. I've got a couple of friends that are really, really involved in the gaming community. Um, one of my closest, like, nerd friends is a guy who writes rule books for board game companies. You know, a uh, couple that I can think of off the top of my head, you know, Root, which was a really big deal game about two years ago. Uh, He he wrote the rule book for that. um, And he's also helped out with some other pretty well-known designers as well. And so when he gets his hands on a game and he needs to test it, he would be like, hey, I know that you have this big group that is helping out. Like they're already coming and playing games. And so he comes to my game nights. It ends up being the featured game, which means that he gets three or four plays of it. It means he gets a lot of feedback. I still remember when he came to the root one the first time, Uh, he was exhausted because he had written like 10 pages of notes that my group had thrown at him. And so it it just kind of blended out of there. Uh, I got connected to him through that. I've also been connected through a a program called uh, Double Exposure, uh, which is an envoy program is what it's called, where they send me games and I just put them in front of folks and get them to play them as much as possible. Uh, I try to be really selective and only try to show off games that I like. Um, cause it makes it a lot easier for me to, uh, really sell it. Um, but yeah, that's really how it gets started is that through all these different kinds of connections, the more that you put it out there, I do have a Facebook page, it's called start playing games. And right now, while we're in this kind of place where I can't run on game nights out in the real world, I'm actually running a weekly game night online using a couple of tabletop resources where you can play games on the internet um to just kind of keep things going keep the community alive and honestly it's a good way to kind of hang out a lot of us are just kind of stuck at home right now so it definitely doesn't hurt to be able to see some folks whether it's in real life or online so are you using tabletop simulator i use that one personally Um, one of the big things that i I'm really, really intentional about is that I never want the people that come to my game nights to feel like they have to pay. And so because Tabletop Simulator has a cost to it, I mean, I know it's only 20 bucks, but um, I use primarily uh, Tabletopia and Board Game Arena, which are both free tools that anybody can use. And um, I use Board Game Arena a little bit more. One, because it's a little bit, uh, it's free Uh, But two, it manages a lot, a lot, a lot of this stuff. So one of the things that like Tabletop Simulator or uh, Tabletopia try to do is they try to make it feel like you're playing the game. You're picking up cards, you're moving things around. That gets a little cumbersome. Uh, Board Game Arena just kind of manages all of that. And it's the cheapest of all of the options. Uh, you don't get as many new games on there. That's what I use Tabletopia for. Like the brand new stuff that just hit Kickstarter is on there, um, and I can show that off to folks. But using Board Game Arena just means that the game is handling most of it. You can actually have conversations with people as the game is playing, and that's that's a nice little feature for it.
2: So you talked about you know the opportunity that developers have, or you know that your friend has to have a group in front of them to to test a game. Mm-hmm. And I know they're looking for feedback, but what when when tearing up a game? How what is it that the developer is looking for, and what is it that the the players
5: sure. can do? Um, play testing is such a tricky thing to work out. Um, and honestly, before uh, his name's Josh, before before he comes in and runs a play test, he's also got this down really really well. If anybody asks me about doing play tests at my game events. The very, very first thing I'm looking for is what are the mechanisms you want questions have questions about? What are the things that you're really looking to have get feedback about? You know, what what is it about the game that you want to know about? Because if we just go in and say, all right, tell me what you think, honestly the players are going to be like, this is a thing that I think is cool, I like it, or they're gonna say, it's weird and I don't understand. And so it's about being able to drill down on, all right, well, what about this mechanism is fun? What about, like, all right, the whole idea of your game is that you want to be a city builder game, but there's this little side thing where the combat is actually the most important part of the most fun part of the game. Like, that's the thing that the designer wants to know because you know what? Yeah, your city builder game might be cool, but you're building a better combat game than you're building a better city builder game. And uh, I've definitely seen, I think Root's a great example, the player board that we saw on the very first time that he came, because he ended up coming, I think, three times. Um, the very first time that he came, the player boards were completely different, um, and he was he was using doing what's called usability testing, which basically means the game itself is mostly done. The mechanisms are in place, and it's about making sure the player aids, the iconography, the um, kind of the the definitions of terms are intuitive. So. You know, if it's gonna be if if it's gonna be an image or an icon on a board, does that icon make sense? Does that push me in a direction where I understand what that action is? And that's really what he does a lot of with us is you know making sure that the tools that he's building for these games actually work as player arrays and actually work as tools for uh, players to just enjoy the game and not have to live in the rule book. I don't know if you all play a lot of games, I've played plenty where you know, half the game, I've got the rule book in my hand looking up a thing because somebody just asked a question. Um, it's and, not just... <laughs> <not. laughs> and and uh, honestly, like, usability testing is a place that solves that. The more times that a player says, this icon is confusing, the more time that they're going to get, the more feedback they're going to get to make that as usable for the average player
3: how do you decide like I'm sure you know at the at these events you know how many with how many people ask to like I want to try one of these games I want to be a play tester or whatever you know if you have how many 30 50 different people obviously you have more than one game going on because that would be a really oh, yeah. tough game a risk to play with 30 people <laughs> uh, yeah <it> would. <laughs> um you know if, if there's a way too many people asking to do a test game how do you decide you know is it like first come first serve or how how you know
5: well, it's tricky. Um, where I can, if I can have multiple copies of the game for the playtests, I will. Uh, playtests aren't something that I do at every game night, um, but whatever I always do, the featured game, I'm always going to try to get as many people to play the featured game as I can. And so if we use the example of the game that I, that I run at the Brass Cat, it starts at 7 o'clock and it goes until the park closes on a Wednesday. Uh, Pat can speak to. Uh, I sometimes are, I'm a little bit more bleary eyed on a uh, on a Thursday morning than most other days of the work week. But um, this is true. I, I, will, <laughs> I will I will literally teach that game all night long as long as people want to play it and as long as people are still there. Um, and in terms of like deciding who would be better for playtests, you know, it really depends on the game. You know, a game like Rude is a little bit of a heavier game. You know, people that are kind of new, that are just kind of experiencing the hobby, I might not throw them at that because I don't know if that game is really intended for someone who's never played four games before. On the, on the other hand, you know, he is, uh, Josh has brought some games from a guy named Tim Fowers, who has done games like Virgo Bros and a couple of other really kind of intuitive, cooperative experiences that are a little bit lighter. And so, for those, I might throw new players at it. Like you're brand new to this thing. I don't care. Enjoy it, because these are this is your core demographic. What can we do to get that feedback from that demographic?
4: So, I got. So, if you're like me, you know, <laughs> and on this show, we've uh, we just went down like the top fifty video games of all time, and uh, and video games are much more mainstream uh, probably than board games are, but. But how do you, when people come to you and they ask, well, what about board games? And and if you're like me, you found that most of their experience is limited to like Monopoly or like Risk, like like Dan was saying, yep. uh, and they don't realize that there's this massive world of board games out there. How do you go about introducing people into this tremendous? It's a hobby, yes, but I yep. mean, there are some games that are just absolutely mind numbing. That you know, if you're trying to get people into this who may have only been experienced you know, with, with video games and stuff. How do you approach that?
5: Oh, sure. So that's actually the, the, central, uh, the central kind of message, theme, whatever you want to call it, uh, my mantra or whatever, for the game nights that I run. The entire idea of my game nights is to make them as new player friendly as possible. I try to focus on games that are things that I can teach in less than 15 minutes and things that play in less than an hour. Um, and a big part of the reason for that is that uh, there's a bit of an intimidation factor if you sit down and find out you're going to be sitting here for three hours you better love what you're doing but if if I'm telling you that it's going to be an hour of your life then it, you're going to be a little bit more willing to jump in and again it's really about the community like one of the things that I have a hard time with and something that I've seen in a lot of nerd spaces whether it's board games or video games or Anywhere, the internet. Um, there's a lot of folks that I think that operate as gatekeepers. You know, that person is like, if you don't know, oh, you've never played Catan, you've never played this other thing. Well, you're not a gamer, and that's not my. That's not the way that I roll. There's a million different games, and I don't care if it's Candy Crush or if it's Civilization Six. Like, if you're playing and you're experiencing it and you're having fun, who cares what game it is? And so I try to focus on a broad spectrum of games. I try not to p- make the same game every time. Um, and I also try to mix up the themes. Because if you're really excited about horror, right, then maybe a game that's a little bit chunkier, but that's got that horror thing in there, that's going to pull you in in a way that if I'm just like, oh, it'll be fine, whatever, just jump in and see how it goes. Um, and I've also featured games that you know, maybe aren't my favorite, but I think that other people are gonna really connect to and I'm enthusiastic about all of it like my if you come to one of my game nights one of the people that are there are gonna give you the hard time of like yeah Justin's gonna say he loves that game and most of the time that's true I think that it's a that they're fun but uh, if you don't if you don't sound excited about it why is anybody else gonna sound excited about it so and the whole idea is to like let you experience it and make up your own mind um, one of these days, if I ever go back into the real world, uh, when Pat comes to <laughs> one of my game nights, I'm going to make sure that he doesn't sit behind me
2: and heckle. I'm going to make him actually play a game at some point. Hey, I have played two games at your game night, sir. Oh, there two. you go. Two. I've been to seven, I've played two.
3: <laughs> so, let me <laughs> ask, uh, <yet. laughs> um, yeah, for a guy like me who I recently started playing Catan with some friends, yep. getting familiar with that one, but I've always been interested and wanting to play like a dungeons and dragons campaign or whatever because it it seems like it's like super fun but i'm really like kind of nervous about trying to get into it because i obviously have no experience in that and i'd hate to get on with you know go to a game night or something and have a bunch of people where like they don't want a new guy who doesn't know what he's doing type of thing in there how do you get is there a way that you, know, you can get. How would you ease me or somebody like me into like a game like that who's pretty oh, yeah. nervous about trying to try this new game but really excited about it?
5: Uh, the, the answer, if you're looking at role-playing stuff, uh, one-shots are your best friend. So a one-shot is a, you know, you sit down, it's a single, exp- you know, and you're going to sit down for a couple of hours, the whole experience, and then the story is going to be over. And that way, it lets you kind of get your feet in the water, try it out, play around with the systems, um, and go from there. And honestly, I think D&D right now is in a really, really great place. I think that it's super new player-friendly. I think that it's uh, it gives the opportunity to either, you know, if you want to go with the pre-created stories that already exist in the D&D lore, there's some really good stuff there. But on the flip side, it's a system, and I know that Pat knows this, but, like, it's a system where you can really kind of create whatever you want out of that scenario. You can kind of build up something that is your own thing. Um, another thing that I would point out is that indie role-playing games right now are incredible. There are so many cool little games that, you know, not everybody is super into the combat-heavy systems that kind of exist within d and um, Kind of going back to horror, there's an amazing game called Dread. And I have never seen more people get excited and pile around a table the way that I've seen people pile around Dread uh, at like four or five of my game nights. Every Halloween, I try to get somebody to come in and feature Dread because it is a horror role-playing game where uh, your skill checks, instead of rolling dice, you got a Jenga tower in the middle of the table. (laughs) If you, as the player, pull the Jenga block out and knock your tower over, you're dead. (laughs) <laughs> and it's got some really, really fun. Like because of that, like there, there are these kind of really organic moments that create story, and it's super rules light. So you get to get in. You just get to kind of play your character that you want to play, and it's a wonderful experience to watch. Uh, and once you hear that thing go down, because of course it's Jenga, you can hear those blocks go down a block away. Um, everybody wants to see what's going on because those blocks go down, everybody screams, and then a crowd shows up, which is a really great way to kind of create that community. There's not like a negative. It's everybody wants to go see what's happening and why everybody's cheering or screaming or whatever. So
4: so That's, you talked to, Oh, go ahead. No, I was go ahead, Patrick. I, I, I wanted, there's something specific I want to ask Justin about current games and stuff. Sure. Uh, so you, you, and I like that
2: the way Dan segued in there with asking about getting started, but you started to make a comment about the community in general. And so I would just like you to kind of talk in sort of some broader brushstrokes of just your experience with this with this community, and you know what makes it so great. Why why do you keep having these nights? And then I'd also like you to talk a little bit about some of the conventions. Um, and you know you go to PAX East and what that community like how that communicate community community translates into into that convention scene as well
5: sure um so honestly i mean the, the thing that i love about this community is uh, honestly the the willingness for everybody that's just trying to dive into stuff you know the once you get into board games just a little bit kind of as as, as uh as, as dp kind of mentioned uh as, as david mentioned um there's there's a different game for everybody. There's so many different options out there and to kind of figure out those flavors is is really exciting. And the people that want to lean into it, it's great. Um, The other piece kind of on a a more personal level. um, You know, I live in the East Hampton area and the North Hampton area is a hub of great local designers. Um, There's lots of folks that are creating role-playing experiences uh, that are creating board games that are creating na- like any kind of narrative storytelling thing um, which means that kind of like if I throw a rock in the direction from where I live, I'm probably gonna hit somebody who is creating content in some way and it means that I get to be a part of some of that creation. and I think that that's really cool. Um, I think one of the really big benefits of some of the conventions as well is uh, getting to meet, the different different folks that are interested and engaged in a lot of this stuff. You know, I, I love where I grow, where I live right now. Um, it is a relatively progressive space, but it's still, you know, I think that at my nerd events and things like that, you know, it does, it still kind of comes off of being, you know, relatively white. Um, going to some of these um, conventions, going to some of these other events, going to panels, things like that, you really get to see the breadth of, Folks that are engaging in a lot of this material and and like really getting excited about it, you know, there's there's really something that I love about walking through Pax East and seeing you know 15 different tables set up with all these different board games and just being able to walk up and talk to people about it. Um, Oh, I haven't seen that game. What is that all about? That looks really cool. What the heck is that giant piece in the middle of the table? What does it do? Um, And like it is a welcoming, warm, and friendly community. And on some ways, I think it's a, a, a more friendly than like the video game community. You know, I, I think about like, dear gosh, I, playing any of like the League of Legends, events, of the ancients stuff, stuff, uh, that stuff, you know, you, you don't, if you aren't playing the game exactly the right way, you're going to get yelled at versus, you know, sure, there's some of that in board games and board game geek definitely has its own little dark corner of that. But for the most part, people are just trying to be friendly and helpful and, and work Work to have a good time. It's a community experience. You're looking at somebody across the table, and it's bigger than the board game. Like if I if I can think about it as a frame it from another way, like the board game is just a setting for us to get together and hang out and have conversation and develop deeply deeper friendships. Like I have made more friends running these game nights now over the past gosh, uh, four or five years. I've lost track. Um. And I'm more thankful for that than I am for the board games that I've actually gotten to play out of it because
4: I lose most of the board games because I'm usually teaching and then I lose. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Um, What I want to ask you, Justin, is um, the past few years, because I mean, I've been collecting board games and playing for seven years now. And um, the past few years, I think, and I want to see what you think, I've noticed a trend that legacy games seem to be the new normal. This is where the industry seems to be moving in in games like you know like gloomhaven which you mentioned you, you know you talk board game geek that's the number one game out there uh, has been for about a year uh, you've got it i don't know like the legacy games seem to be borrowing from video games with unlockables mm-hmm. and that so now like you get a game like gloomhaven which will cost you a couple hundred dollars but the game unlocks as you go along so you start off with something and then as you progress you unlock you get to open boxes and like I mean, I remember the first time I played Risk Legacy, and on the bottom there's an envelope that says "Do not open this ever," which of course yep. you had op- you had to open it at that point. You know, it was it was a foregone conclusion. But do you are you seeing that as well? That legacy games seem to be where things are going, and, and within legacy games, there's like some are cooperative. Then you've got like Scythe, which added the Rise of Fenris pack, which makes it a competitive legacy game, which is rare. Um, you know, Arcadia Quest does that as well, but. Do you see the industry moving more in that direction and getting away to some extent from just the straight up competitive, you know, one gaming session and that's the game sort of thing?
5: That's a tricky question. Um, And I think my answer is, boy, Legacy Games were a super fun fad for a little while, Um, and I'm starting to already see it start to wane a little bit um a good example i think i think rise of fenris is a great example i mean you can the that's the expansion for side that turns it into a legacy game um the uh, the thing that i'm starting to see more and more you know when legacy first happened it was you got to play the game 10 11 12 times and that was the whole experience now you're done with the game you've got a whole big old box of cardboard that you really can't do anything more with um, i'm seeing that evolve and that's evolving into there's a narrative experience within the game, but you can still play it separately. I think of, uh, as a good example of Charterstone, which is another game by the same guys who do the side, yeah. um, where the whole idea of the game is that after you've played it and you get to the very end, you just have a unique copy of the game that you can just play as many times as you want. Um, and you know something that I, I think that Legacy games are cool if everybody who's playing. So if all four of us sat down and played a game and we were all really into it, awesome. It's going to be a great experience. If all four of us sat down and Pat was like, "This game really isn't my jam," and decides that he's not interested in playing, that kills it. I have owned, I own an, a, a ridiculous number of games that are legacy. I have not finished one of them. <laughs> because somebody somebody has decided that it's not for them or, you know, they've wanted to move on to something different. And to go along with that, you know, I'm seeing smaller games that have that, like, legacy idea, but that don't make it so that it's once you finish the experience, it's done. You may get to add new ideas. You may add n- new content. And that, that opening of those boxes, my experience with that was Pandemic Legacy. Every time you open the box, it was so exciting. Um But ultimately, I think that we're going to see something that's shifting more towards there's a narrative component, but there's still a standalone game that anybody can sit down and experience. Because there is a little bit of a a wall there once you get a couple games in.
4: Yeah, it just seems it seems like an evolving aspect of this. uh, And I think we would both agree the board game industry has exploded um, past few years, especially.
5: Yeah. 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 Kickstarter, I think, was a big, big part of that. And I think Kickstarter was is a big part of something that I love, which is risky ideas, board games that do things that, you know, might not sell a million copies in a store, but it's a cool enough idea that if you know three hundred people back it online, that it's now a cool thing that exists in the world, uh, which has absolutely put a lot more interesting, challenging, clever ideas that might not exist otherwise into the, into the market.
3: Yeah, agreed. You mentioned the online community and, you know, especially with this whole, everything going on, you know, trying to do, we have to try and do more things from home and how, how has that been? How, you know, how do you guys, you know, continue to organize like an online game and, and the worrying about connections and things like that, about getting everybody kind
5: of together. How does that work? Oh man. Uh, connections is the, is the, is the magic word right there. Uh, so it's a big reason that I don't use Tabletop Simulator and that I use uh, Tabletopia a little bit less. They require more processing power. Um, Board Game Arena is a browser-based thing. So if you can get onto the, onto the web, then you can basically play games with us. And then what I also did is that I created a, a Discord channel called Start Playing Online. Um, and anybody that wants to join can pop into that Discord channel. Uh, the event happens every Wednesday. We start it at seven. We go until you know people are done playing games. Um, but it's also just there. You know, if you're looking to play a game and you want to pop in there, you know, you can see who's active and send somebody a message and get a game going. Um, and that way, you've got a little chat space. If you wanted to share video, you can. And it's a relatively low barrier to entry. Um, the hardest thing for me using uh, Board Game Arena is teaching a game when you can't, like, move pieces around or people can't see you waving your hands is a real trick, uh, which I'm still still learning to get good at. Uh, the benefit of Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator, because you've actually got cards and bits and you're moving your mouse around and other players can see your hand, quote-unquote, um, it makes it a lot easier to say, like, this object is this thing, which is a little harder to explain in Board Game Arena, but... I think that the, the trade-off is that people are going to have more fun with it because they don't have to do a lot of the admin stuff. Sure.
3: And that does that, I mean, I guess just to just to add on to that a little bit, has has the online community been able to kind of help expand like your brand or what you do to like other places? Because you can obviously, those people that aren't, don't have to get together. If somebody's out in another part of the country, can still join in on a game
5: and, and, and hang out and talk and play. Yeah, that's a really good example. Uh, example is I have some folks that, you know, because I've been running this game night long enough, people have moved out of the area. And right now, because we're online, I have a couple people that are coming that are like, I used to live in the area. I came to your game night regularly. Now that we're doing it online, I can see you all, quote, unquote. Um, so, like, I have folks that are on the other side of the state to join. Um, I have folks that are on the other side of the country that will pop in from time to time. Um, and so, yeah, it absolutely has opened up the ability to get people in different areas and it's also pulling new folks in. So like this friend that moved out to the other side of the state now is bringing their friends to the game now because they want to get together and it's a good way to meet a few relatively like-minded folks that aren't going to, you know, bark at you when you get yourself, when you say you don't understand what the game is. So,
2: yeah, I can't imagine that, um, you would get smaller by doing uh, this online and being able to use the internet to your advantage in these, these different sites. So, um, and on that note, I feel like that's a good segue. Uh, I feel like fellas were two for two on interviews. Uh, I feel like we've, we've had a good go around uh, both times. Justin, before we let you go, uh, thank you very much for, for coming on the show and taking a little time. But um, you mentioned that you have a Facebook page um, that folks could check you out on. Um, what are some other ways, if people wanted to check out what you do, that they could find you?
5: Uh, the, the main way is the Facebook page. And it's just Start Playing Games is the name of the Facebook page. Uh, I also have Start Playing on Instagram. Although I'll be honest, it's a little uh, less active now that I can't take a lot of pictures of board games. I don't want to just take up a bunch of pictures of my computer screen and be like, "Hey, look what I've been playing lately." Um, and then uh, if you go to the Start Playing Facebook page, there is a link to the Discord channel um, that you can just join into. Uh, and then the game nights that I run—it's every other, or it's every Wednesday, uh, starting at seven o'clock and just pop into the discord i have a featured game every week so you know what i'm going to play i put it on the facebook page i put it in the discord um and i can set up a bunch of rooms for that and i'm always happy to if folks are interested join it join up for sure
2: excellent well thank you very much again for coming and joining us today uh we will probably ask you if you had a good enough time today to come back at some point. Maybe actually just talk about a game or two here or there that's come out. I think that would also be fun. Clearly, I, I've discovered a new level of nerd out of Dave. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know how deep the rabbit hole was, and here we are, um, board game Dave. So that's very exciting. Um, but collect-
4: yeah, oh, what a board game nut I am.
2: So I I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm actually thrilled. But anyway, uh, thank you very much, Justin. Uh, you go ahead and enjoy the rest of your Sunday um, and hopefully we'll have you back on the bandwagon soon.
0: Awesome. Take care y'all. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Bye. All right. So that was Justin Dowd. Fellas thoughts. I, I thought that was a pretty darn good interview. Good
4: work guys. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, board games are something i'm extremely passionate about i mean it's uh i transitioned away to some extent from video games to board games you know about seven years ago you know and there's there's some good reasons for that i mean board games you don't have to worry about technology they're very timeless uh video games don't have i mean video games are timeless don't get me wrong but you do run into technology issues and and backwards compatibility and that sort of thing but yeah it's it's great that he's uh he, he's doing some really good work there introducing people to this hobby that is um you know i I've, I've met i mean my wife can attest to this we've met lots of people who are just they think of board games they think monopoly or they think life or they think trivial pursuit and once you get into the topic and start looking around as to what's out there it's astonishing the depth and complexity of these games that are out there like dan you mentioned the dungeons and dragons like and I, you heard me mention the name Gloomhaven to Justin. I mean, that game is a massive dungeon crawl where your characters are leveling up and you're going on all these adventures. And I mean, it's it's remarkable the depth of that industry as to what kind of games are out there. So yeah, that was a great interview. But yeah, introducing people to that hobby in a way that doesn't intimidate them to the point that they say, oh Jesus, I can't do this. And I forget that. Um, you know, like a game like like he talks about the games that he's using something you can get in and out of in an hour you know yeah if you drop a game like twilight imperium on on somebody their first time out they're gonna be like well that's the end of their board game experience forever you know so i thought that that was great talking to him and hearing uh just his thoughts on things
3: yeah and the idea that there's like you mentioned you know i you know wanting to play other games and things like that there's games that are you know, simple, like you know, but not so simple. You know, there's a lot of games like that. Like, like I'm been learning Catan and stuff like that. It's, you know, there's different variations and things, but it's not as complicated as a game that you think once you actually get into it and start playing. And that's kind of the thing is you got to not be intimidated to some of these games because you can, you can learn them and you can learn them quick and they're not complicated. And the, that that right. understanding that there's actually one, sh- like you said, one shot games for like a D and D where it's you're only gonna play a couple hours and then that campaign's over. You know, if knowing that, you know, it makes it a little easier to wanna try out one of those games and things like that and and learning these different online communities and online options that are out there besides just tabletop simulator, like you mentioned, the tabletopia and the board game arena that he uses. There's all sorts of options out there if you can't get together with people that you can still get out there and play these games on your computer if you want to. And then there's also these options where you can you know, once we can really fully get out there, there's a huge community of people that are willing to help you learn and that right. you can just go get go have fun with with friends and, and play.
2: And I will say um, I am one hell of a heckler at a board game <laughs> uh, and, and he it's he wasn't lying. Like, it's true. I would show up uh, <laughs> to, like, hang out with my friend for a little bit and then, like, say he's playing a game like that has a bunch of cards I, I might move them around and shuffle them and <laughs> slide his game piece elsewhere. It's it's I wow. have a great I have a great time at game nights. It's it's good times. Sure but
3: if I we're, if we're I coming, if I ever host a game night, you will not be invited, sir.
2: <laughs> if I'm playing the game, I'm I'm much more mature. Yeah, a lot a lot of times when I'm when I'm going there, it really is to like say hi to my friend and then like go somewhere else because I I appreciate board board games and and that thing. It's not necessarily my thing. Uh, I do love RPGs. I'm a big D and D guy. I actually just started rereading the Player's Handbook for the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons to once again not start a campaign because that's what i'm really good at is having an idea for a campaign and then like not starting it
4: so um, we're playing right i should hey Dan, so, listen to patrick he's the guy you don't trade with in Catan. you know it's just like what do you need no i'm not trading that to you no matter what no,
2: yeah no i'm good
4: awesome so again will not be Dan, invited
2: <laughs> there you go dave i would be remiss we talked about the boys episode two you and the misses are there do you want to throw any thoughts at us about the boys episode two before we bring this show to a wrap
4: oh man i loved episode two that that was that was just so great uh everything going on with translucent and trying to figure out how to how to off him <laughs> and uh i mean and, and then and then nothing that they try and then it becomes you know an ass bomb is basically how they're gonna take care of this guy and uh And just seeing Huey go through the progression of just to the breaking point where he's just like, you know, fuck this guy. And he just blows him sky high. Uh, Starlight standing up to the deep uh, was was excellent. It's like, okay, she grew a pair, even though she doesn't need a pair, but she grew a pair. And uh, I I think episode two was fantastic. You got to see, you got to see just uh, like, Homelander has got a different level of respect to him. And it seems like he's got a much broader power set than we've probably been um introduced to so far because the deep was terrified about homelander was going to do to him so i thought uh, episode two was just awesome i can't wait to see where they go from here now that they've off one of the uh seven now i guess they're down to the six now uh you know there's going to be hell to pay and i can't wait to see where they go from here you got anything
2: um, it, was, it was really good, yeah. That you pretty much summed it up uh, about what I was going to say, and um, yeah, I got. I'm glad translucent got his in the end.
4: Literally, got his. But I'm ching.
2: All right. Well, before we bring this episode to a close, I do have a question um, this week. Sticking with kind of the theme that we've been doing for the first couple of questions. Uh, first, it was the best jump scare that we've ever had in a movie. Last week, it was kind of our big emotional moments. Um, I got to thinking about comedies and films that uh, have made you laugh so hard that you were worried you might not be able to catch your breath. And so take a moment. I'm sure there's a lot. I'll give you mine. Uh, this, This is a real thing that happened. I nearly choked on a piece of pizza while watching the movie Howard Stern Private Parts. Now, have you guys seen this movie? No, <laughs> no. Okay, one Not for me. Do anyway. yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. Regardless of how you feel about Howard Stern, check out this movie. It's really, it's fucking funny. Um, but there is a scene where Howard is escorting a B movie star to a theater to the premiere of her newest movie, and she's sitting next to him uh, in the movie theater. And I'm watching this movie. I'm eating a piece of pizza. And at one point, she makes a pass at Howard, drops her hand on his thigh, and you visibly see his pants move as he gets an erection. And I, juvenile, college-age Patrick, started laughing so hard, I nearly choked on a piece of pizza. Uh, Like, legitimately had to stop the movie and get myself together because I laughed so hard, I nearly choked on a piece of pizza. That would have been a horrible way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it though? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it
3: though? For me, man, there's... Oh, man. Uh, I would go back to Give Me a Mel Brooks movie, for sure, uh, for these. Uh, just one that just, the first one that popped in my head was one that continued makes me laugh and a line I continue to use to this day all the time is in History of the World Part 1 when uh, I think it's right after... What is it, Cleopatra, whoever Madeline Kahn's character is supposed to be playing, they're coming down the uh the main road, they're on their horses, and they see Miracle is down on the ground, the horse is in the middle of the road, and she can't go any further. And the one guy in the front gets on the camera, his first face right in the middle of the camera and goes, Move that miserable piece of shit. That line <laughs> makes me laugh every single time because you can see a little piece of spit come out of his mouth, and it's just like, where the fuck did that come from? Out of nowhere. I just I, uh, anything from them just makes me laugh my ass off all the time.
2: Spaceballs was on TV yesterday, uh, and it's like you're right. Anytime Mel Brooks movies comes on, comes on, like I stop what I'm doing and I watch the movie.
4: Yeah, uh, so mm-hmm. good. The two that come to mind. To me, one is a Mel Brooks movie when I was a kid. For some reason, in Young Frankenstein, where the monster sits on the on the seesaw and the girl <laughs> flies <laughs> through the window, she lands <laughs> in the but, bed. For some reason, that always killed me. Uh, I mean, and then I think recently I, it reminded me. But we we're watching American Pie on HBO Max, and you know, Patrick, this one year at band camp,
2: <laughs> <laughs> one time at band camp,
4: yeah. Uh, that.
2: We 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 literally we, we actually talked about you're watching American Pie as your first HBO Max movie earlier in the day today.
4: Yeah, that that line because it, it's just so great because it's up until then she's just so boring, and then out of nowhere you know this one year at band camp I stuck a flute in my pussy and it's like wait what? And <laughs> it, is, started...
2: it is it is it is one of the more jarring moments that that you can really have ever. But the yeah, other um,
4: watch that yeah. and just rolling the other night when that came right.
2: on so. the, the other movie moment for me that gets me every time is the the movie half-baked stars yes. uh dave Chappelle. i think it's half-baked right Yep. Yes. Chappelle, where he goes to he goes to the alcoholics anonymous
0: oh, meeting God. <laughs> and he
2: stands in front of everybody and he's like i'm addicted to marijuana and bob saget stands up and he's like you think you got it you, you think you're addicted i used to suck dick for coke do you ever suck dick for marijuana? And just every I've time. Him. I've seen him do it. And it just Danny Tanner standing yeah. in front of everybody. And you, and you just, and then you learn, like, that was what I learned that Bob Saget was a vile dude. Yes. By the way, like, then I went and watched his stand up routines and was like, geez, Louise. <laughs> I, I got this guy all wrong. All this, wrong. Boo this man, Patrick. Boo this man. Ugh. <laughs> uh, rightfully so anyway it's been a great show today um we covered a lot uh without you dave so i hope you go back and have some thoughts we talked about dc comics again and you weren't here to you, you weren't here to participate so I, sad I read, for you
4: uh, i read it though that they parted ways with diamond yep. um, yeah that's 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 going to be a uh, big shift in the massive. industry
2: right yeah massive stop. Um, but before we go, since, we, since we're since we all here, um, tell everybody where they can find you out there in the the social media verse, the universe, the Facebook verse, the verse, all those verses. Um, Dave, why don't you go ahead and go first?
4: Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Attitude Ag, that is at Attitude A-G-G, and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression.
3: You can find me. TV? Find me all over the worldwide social media interwebs at it's me, DPP. I'm also, if you want to listen to me more, I'm on the DWI podcast as well. You can find that at facebook.com slash DWI podcast. And a Twitter at Podcast DWI.
2: And you can find me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. I am on the ChairShot.com Radio Network or ChairShot Media as as our Twitter handle has been changed to now. I do two podcasts. We uh, every Tuesday this episode drops a bandwagon nerds. We uh, I am also on the ChairShot Radio. Uh, on Wednesday nights with Craig Demarco and Miranda Morales, you can also catch our weekly article every Friday where we review a new movie. I just realized we missed something, guys. We forgot to decide what the the choices are out of the next poll, but I think I know what it's going to be. Uh, we've been doing all this. We, we it's oh, three hundred is one what well, one, but for next week, what do you think about Mel Brooks? Um, My what, what if we pop what if we pop four Mel Brooks movies up there on the on the poll?
4: I'm in there like swimwear.
3: I'll watch all four no matter what.
2: That is too much information. (laughs) Oh, he is at the beach. I don't ever want to see. That (laughs) is No, thank you. No, thank you. Like, you keep that in the, keep that in the boudoir.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, Anyway, before we sign off, anybody got any last thoughts? Anybody want to say anything before we go? All right. Well, once again, big thank you to Justin Dowd, who came to us and talked to us a little bit about board games. Hope you everybody enjoyed the show today. Uh, Now, get yourself out of the basement. Get yourself some sun. It's beautiful out there. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network.
1: Thank you.